Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Suicide Squad. You gotta be kidding me. You're gonna risk the entire mission for a mental defective dress as a court jester. It's coming from a guy that wears a toilet seat on his head. We don't leave one of our own behind. Hopefully Harley's still alive. No funny business, Colonel. These are dangerous people. Team 2 is clear to go. Fire up. Three, two... What are you guys doing? What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were gonna save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Blood sport. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way, and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Nom nom. Any questions? Hand. Yes, that is your hand. Very good. We're all gonna die. I hope so. Oh, for fuck's sake. Here's the deal. We fail the mission, you die. If we find out any information you give us is false, you die. If we find out you have personalized license plates, you die. What? No. If you cough without covering your mouth... Harley, although that isn't an open invitation for you to cough without covering your mouth. What's the plan? How am I supposed to know? You're the leader. You're supposed to be decisive. And I've decided that you should eat a big bag of dicks. If this whole beach was completely covered in dicks, and somebody said I'd eat every dick until the beach was clean for liberty, I would say no problem. Why would someone put penises all over the beach? Who knows why madmen do what they do? This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. When they get you out of here alive. I'm going to get you out of here alive. Oh my god, we've got a freaking kaiju up in this shit! Uh-huh. I love the rain. It's like angels are splooching all over us. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Suicide Squad, and the story is as follows. The government sends the most dangerous supervillains in the world, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, Harley Quinn, and others, to the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Armed with high-tech weapons, they trek through the dangerous jungle on a search-and-destroy mission with only Colonel Rick Flagg on the ground to make them behave. The film is starring Margot Robbie, Idris Elba, John Cena, Joel Kinnaman, Sylvester Stallone, Viola Davis, Jai Courtney, and Peter Capaldi. It is written and directed by James Gunn, and here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Bianca Gardner. Hey! Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello. 
and Dan Bear. Hand. Yes. Yes, that is that is your hand. All right, so uh, round two, do over. <laughs> Let's try this again. The original Suicide Squad. I guess we kind of need to start off this review by talking about the original Suicide Squad that released in 2016 from David no, Ayer. No, no, we don't. We really we don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> we really don't. And if I have to hear release the Ayer cut one more time. Well, I will just say this. I think that the V in front of Suicide Squad here from James Gunn is very definitive in that the movie is making this bold statement that this is the definitive version of how they want these characters to be presented. Um, There's only a few characters that carry over from the 2016 version. Uh, Deadshot's been replaced here by Bloodsport. You have King Shark, uh, Peacemaker, a few other new characters like Ratcatcher 2, all of whom we're going to get into here in this review. But I think that the main star of this movie here is writer and director James Gunn, who previously uh, gained... A lot of fame from directing the two Guardians of the Galaxy movies from Marvel. DC now has scooped him up, brought him over here, and he has brought his sensibilities to this property in a movie that is now currently playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. What did we think this time around? Let's start it off first with Daniel Howitt. Uh, definitely, I think it it's, it's, goes without saying, and it's the easy thing to say, that this is much better than the David Ayer version. Uh, no disrespect to him and whatever he feels like he suffered on his film, but this is a much better product. Um, what I love about the Suicide Squad is, is it never takes itself too seriously. This movie is ridiculous. It's violent. And it's genuinely hilarious. It embraces how absolutely weird it is. Uh, and that was a major problem with the first film is it took itself so seriously, just like most DC films do. Um, and so it, it was never able to to embrace the strange reality that it finds itself in with this weird and random group of people. The characters in this version are are phenomenal. Um, you know, with with the exception of, of Harley Quinn, only the most devoted comic book fans could have any sort of emotional attachment to these characters and so it just makes this movie feel wild and like it could go in any direction at at any time and it and it often does that um i love how the story is is rightfully small scale like this isn't a necessarily a world ending mission and so i think that makes it more believable and i say believable even when it involves a giant starfish kaiju um but uh, the entire ensemble is is amazing. Uh, I'm sure many people have different favorite characters. I, I loved Polka Dot Man so much. Um, I think he has some of the biggest laughs in the movie and was just uh, kind of so out there that that it really worked for me. And then Ratcatcher 2 is is such a, a surprising uh, emotional center to the film. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm overall a fan of how visually grounded the movie is, um, but I'm not a fan of the, the overexposed bright white cinematography uh, that that didn't really work for me. It was different. Which, which I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. I appreciated that it looked different from many other uh, comic book films, but I wasn't really wasn't uh, digging the vibes. I thought it was kind of ugly at times, unfortunately. Um, but overall, I think this movie is a ton of fun. Really great time at the movies, uh, a blast. 
Um, I think I've heard some people say that it's one of the best comic book movies ever, and um, I'm not remotely there. I, in fact, I think both Guardians movies are better than this, but um, I think this is a really solid movie that I think will probably hold up really well on rewatches. Okay, all right. Let's pass it over next now to Bianca Gardner. Yeah, I, I really think this is definitely um, the right material for um, James Gunn. Like, uh, if anyone's seen Super his other sort of superhero movie um this is like really sort of i don't know like him and his element you know getting to to work you know work with weird characters who are like misfits from society and um getting to have that really over the top violence and the I wasn't really expecting the film to be as violent as it is. And some of the stuff that happens is so gruesome. I just, yeah, this is definitely not uh, a film for kids. And it's good to see that. Like, it is kind of refreshing to have a more uh, adult, mature sort of uh, comic book movie. And I think it suits this sort of, these characters uh, it's good to see sort of Harley Quinn sort of have her character ex- expanded on and actually give them some real depth and, uh, you know, not just be there for the male gaze. Um, and I really just found like the new additions uh, that they had, they added to um, the Suicide Squad really interesting, like their characters were that they're actually given some proper backstory. And I must confess, I've never been able to sit through the original Suicide Squad movie and make it to the end. And I've tried doing that like at least two times. And I actually watched this one and I I really want to go watch it again. It was just so much fun to watch in cinema with people laughing and uh, gasping and all that. So yeah, definitely one of the highlights of the year for me. And now Dan Bear. <laughs> I think, like Bianca said, this is just like a perfect match of director to material. This James Gunn is absolutely the star here, and he's really the one that makes us what it is, despite the like it is perfectly cast. I think the I, it's difficult to imagine any other performers in most of these parts and they deliver on that casting with really, really fun, in some cases inspired performances. And I love the visual sensibility James Gunn brings to this. I also love the sense of play that he brings to this. I feel like for too long, a lot of comic book movies have sort of ignored the comic part of their namesake. And like, I want comic book movies to be fun and I want them to be, you know, funny and enjoyable and look, have shots that will look like they're ripped out of a freaking comic book. And there are so many moments of all of that in this. And it's just a freaking blast, man. I, (laughs) I love how cartoonishly violent it is because there is something that just takes it out of the realm of reality that makes it even more enjoyable to watch. And even though like there are some pretty awful things that happen to people in this movie um, or happen to their bodies anyway. And it's, it's still fun because of the way 
gun shoots it and edits it and it scored. It's so I just had a blast watching it. And I also really love that no one in this movie ever for one second feels safe. That gambit with the opening scene totally pays off. And I spend the entire movie really wondering, like, who, okay, who's going to make it to the end? And they even get it to work with a totally minor character that you think is going to be the big bad. And then, nope, done, done with him. And in a, in the most perfect way that they get rid of that character, um, I want more movies to be like this to not take themselves so seriously but to take the art of filmmaking seriously there are some sequences in here that are just i I think of the fight scene that we see reflected in peacemaker's helmet it's not the whole fight but it's like at least half of it that is amazing and harley's escape where she shoots and we see flowers and dancing babies and birds and everything like <laughs> they're, they're, they're absurd um the moment when king shark just like rips a person in two like it's absurd and ridiculous and it knows it but it takes those moments and works them into the fabric of the reality of this movie and everyone involved in this is having so much fun that it translates to the audience and i really loved it Yeah, so it goes without saying that this movie is definitely an improvement on the 2016 version in a multitude of different ways, uh, to the point that that that's not really saying so much, maybe. So it's best to maybe uh, definitely expand upon why that is. And as I mentioned at the top of this show here, I think that James Gunn is the number one reason, first and foremost. And for a lot of the reasons that you said there, Dan, it's because of the fact that there are so many highly creative, wildly imaginative moments in this movie that just feel so out of left field and definitely don't belong so much within the fabric of reality that you kind of just roll with it after a while. Like even the idea of the final uh, boss battle being this giant kaiju uh, starfish, Starro the Conqueror, as it's referred to, I, I just think is so unbelievably original to the point that it just makes everything uh, happening here so much fun to watch unfold because it does feel like it is its own unique piece of storytelling. It doesn't feel like a ripoff of other movies that we've necessarily seen before. Uh, the whole story of over, you know, of, of destroying um, Project Starfish and traveling over to uh, this uh, remote island, uh, Corto Maltese, and with the government overthrowing and everything like that. It, that's not really, I think, the part of the story that's most important here. Um, I also don't think that it has um, any kind of real important political or social commentary necessarily. I think the movie is more so focused on its characters and making sure that each of these characters gets some sort of a definable arc, uh, which is something that I feel pays off here in dividends compared to other comic book movies that I've seen, especially coming from the DCEU, where usually your main character gets some sort of a character arc. It's very, very rare to have an ensemble film like this, where there is really no true definable lead. Although one could make an argument that uh, Harley Quinn and Idris uh, Elba, Robert Dubois as uh, Bloodsport, they're probably the, the two leads. But regardless of which, though, 
James Gunn takes the time to make sure that each one of these characters in this misfit unit are given some sort of a backstory, some sort of an emotional connection to the audience, and then some sort of setup and payoff. Um, and I feel that that alone elevates this above other comic book movies that we've been receiving over the last couple of years from the DCEU. That to say, I do think it does have some problems. I've seen the movie twice now, and on a second viewing, there were some elements that did stand out to me as mm, not as good as the first time around. Uh, first time, like Bianca, I saw it with an audience of people in the theater, and it was like everybody was having so much fun that I think it did maybe cloud my mind to some of the flaws that I noticed on a second time around watching it on HBO Max. Um, and I'd like to get into some of that here. Uh, but why don't we first start off with a comment that Bianca made, actually. Um, Bianca, you said that you really enjoyed this portrayal of Harley Quinn this time around. And I think I have to slightly disagree ever so slightly. While I still think Margot Robbie is extremely committed to the role and she just has it nailed down so perfectly, I think that what she was doing and how she was portrayed in Birds of Prey is actually a bit better than this this time around, mostly because there's this one sequence involving her and uh, the uh, was it the, like the Luna uh, character, and I, I just found that to be a little bit of a step back in terms of how she's portrayed in these movies. Yeah, I, I kind of get where you're coming from there. I just feel like in the other sort of in Birds of Prey and in. Um, the previous Suicide Squad movie. I do feel like she was given, it was a bit too more, too serious for her. Um, it, you know, like the material that she was given, it was all a, a little bit more serious or she didn't really necessarily have, uh, or she was sort of not given enough fun things to do, if that makes sense. At least here, she's been a bit more let off and, and allowed to do some things which are a bit more fun. Like I say, I think, the scene where she sort of escapes is far better than the police scene in Birds of Prey. You mean in terms of just like the uh, action choreography or? Well, in general tone and just seemed, you know, here's just happens to be a weapon. Let's use it. She was like, you could see that she was thinking ahead of the uh, in the plan. And that's what I kind of liked. I, You know, obviously she's not the main driving force of this movie as she is in Birds of Prey which is more of a solo movie but even that I still felt that was more had this overshadowing of the Joker and that and that was affecting her actual solo movie it was always that I you know he was always in the background whereas here you don't even think about him you know it's 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 solely about Harley Quinn and you know a, a moving on type of thing I just found like there were a lot more overshadowing of male characters in Birds of Prey mm-hmm. with, with like the likes of Black Mask that took the limelight away from Harley and and here yeah there are some problems I'm not going to say that there isn't but at least here she's a bit more sort of fun and a bit more to do with the team and is there to you actually see her doing some more more things and being allowed to be herself. So that's how I feel about it. But yeah, I can understand where other people might have issues. I actually agree, Bianca. I think the thing for me about this is that Birds of Prey, which is lots of fun and it on its own, 
it kind of presents Harley as like, oh my God, isn't she crazy and kooky and fun? And this gives her more agency in a like, no, she's actually incredibly capable and incredibly smart, like you were saying, B. And I agree that, that the one kind of torture scene is difficult to watch. But also because we know Harley, we're just waiting for that moment when she's going to turn the tables. And it comes, and it is delicious. I just don't understand why they had to give her this, and it's very brief, but just this romantic sort of subplot here. And I understand uh, that she takes control of it at the end, and she has her big statement on how she views men in her life and so on and so forth. I Like, I get all of that, but I still felt that it was kind of unnecessary and still a step back regardless. I just didn't, I, I, like, I felt like we were over this and didn't need to even go there to begin with. Yeah, but how would she get her dress? Come on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, the thing that about that that worked for me is that how it seems to work in most movies and not just movies like this, but movies in general is like once a character reaches the end of their arc, that's when you start going, okay, when are they going to die? And when Harley gave that little speech about how, you know, like I normally I would say yes and totally marry you right now, but you're giving me a lot of red flags and I'm doing the important thing for myself and removing temptation right now. That was like, okay, you have learned from everything in Suicide Squad. You've learned from everything in Birds of Prey and you have now reached your final form and they've already proven that they're willing to kill off characters here. So... Is she going to make it out alive? I, I do agree, Dan, that setting the stakes in that opening uh, beach raid sequence uh, where there are some pretty big name actors that are getting killed off to the point that I was like, OK, at least we're getting these flashbacks where they're featured a little bit more. But even still, I was like, wow, I really can't believe that so and so XYZ character to mm-hmm. avoid spoilers here uh, had such a small role when all was said and done and they were really involved in the film's marketing. Uh, And then that also, to your point, pays off later on where this movie actually does inject some twists and surprises in there and is not afraid to continue killing off characters, even ones that are uh, very, very beloved. Uh, There's one in particular that's kind of played for laughs because it's just it's just so shocking. And then there's one that completely took me by surprise uh, because it's just such a big character and big name uh, actor. And once again, without getting into spoilers of it all, I just want to say really quickly that historically, and maybe people will read into this a bit, I've not really ever been a fan of this actor's work in the past. I think that they're incredibly wooden and dry in almost everything I've ever seen them do. This might be the first time ever that this actor and, uh, you know, of course, only the second time this character, but this actor was able to like actually get me to care about their work this time around. So I, I think you guys can read into what it is I'm talking about here. But yeah, um, yeah I yeah. think he's been in his movie work. He has not. Oh, been yeah. Yeah. Great. Reading between the lines here and thinking about who you're talking about. 
I was very impressed with this performance in this m- movie. Oh, no, no, no. Not like not, not even in terms of uh, the performance being great or anything like that. Like, and he's not the standout of the movie or anything along those lines. I think I'm just more so commenting on they didn't make that character work in the first film. And now they made that character work this time around. Yeah, a lot of the characters in the previous movie just didn't work, you know, and I'm glad that we didn't have them bring being brought back. Um, aside from a, f- a few that we do see, because I, I don't want to necessarily see those characters again because they weren't really interesting. They no. were just a bit dull. I mean, another another actor who I'm also not really that big of a fan of is uh, Jai Courtney yeah. as uh, Captain Boomerang. He's another one that I was just <laughs> like, I've never really been impressed by him in anything that he's ever done. And not saying that he, you know, impressed me necessarily here, but at least I'll give James Gunn credit for utilizing uh the strengths of viola davis better this oh time my, around oh my she god is brilliant yeah. in this like i oh. you know it's so much fun because amanda waller is such a sourpuss that i'm like for the entire first half of viola davis scenes i was like oh she does not want to be here but it works so well for this character <laughs> yeah then she actually gets some meat to work on in the second yeah. half of the movie and she gets a couple of big scenes that i was like okay i there was a time where yeah. i thought to myself like oh maybe they're going a little too overboard with this uh because it was so sudden like my my audience like reacted uh in stunned silence and then nervous laughter afterwards because i you know that's just the power of viola davis she has mm. the ability to kind of just cast a, a spell over the room with whatever it is that she's doing and here I mean, James Gunn just makes her so explosive and she has just so much rage inside of her. It's insane. I really, really love it. One thing I loved that, you know, we've seen so many of these superhero team up movies at this point and something so simple as having two characters with roughly the same ability with Peacemaker and Bloodsport. And they, I, I love that yeah. they make that a thing and they make that a conversation. It's like, why, why, why haven't we seen this? Before? Oh yeah. Like the scene where they're infiltrating the, uh, the camp and trying to one up each oh, other on who can so kill good. more effectively, <laughs> which is, a, which is a ridiculous scene, but, but I just love that back and forth. It works so well. Like we, we have so many. Of these I scenes. love the payoff of that scene where it's like they killed everyone. <laughs> and then the reveal of, no, this is actually the good guys that were supposed to be helping us. And they're just like, Oh, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I also really love that they call out that Peacemaker and Bloodshot are essentially the same character. Yeah. Because right, exactly. like, the number of comic book characters that are basically the same person but in different clothes is insane. And I love that she just introduces him using the same exact introduction she used for Bloodshot. I, w- I would I like to think that she's got just like this little <laughs> cue card type of thing that she memorizes while she's brushing her teeth in the morning you know i kind of expected margot robbie to once again just blow me away with her interpretation of harley quinn which i think is phenomenal idris elba i thought was a really good anchor to this movie i thought he led the film very well cena see i like cena in this i i've liked him in terms of his comedy better in movies like blockers and train wreck but i still thought that I, I actually thought that the thing that held Cena back here was um 
actually the writing, if I'm being honest with you, I didn't find the writing for his character to be all that funny. Yeah. But I did like the, phys- the physicality yeah. um, and the... Uh, they're not really, I guess, superpowers, but I, I, I suppose in a way, like I, I, I did like, you know, how he integrated into all of that. But the standouts for me were actually the supporting players here. I think the breakout star of this movie actually is Daniela uh, Melquire yes. as uh, Ratcatcher oh, 2. Oh, so good. No so question. Good. Yeah. I thought she was phenomenal in this. And I also got to give a shout out to uh, David Dasmalachian as a uh, polka dot man who uh, probably was the most surprising performance and character introduced in this movie for me i do like it when they call him norman bates yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) everything that they do with his mom in this movie is brilliant oh that is a great visual gag that was so phenomenal Uh, and and it actually gave you know it gave his arc a little bit more meat like a little more weight to it uh, yeah, that, that for such a ridiculous thing, it made it actually feel meaningful. I I, I thought his character was so good and and perfectly played. Yeah, I think his I, backstory is really dark, really dark. If you think yeah. about it, and mm-hmm. it, in a way, like a lot. I just want to say this: like a lot of the mo- uh, movie reminded me of The Boys in terms of that yes. dark. Oh, okay, dark. yeah. And I would love to see this developed, like. Uh, a TV series like The Boys because I think it really could well quite well in that style. It's funny you say that because uh, John Cena as Peacemaker is getting a spinoff series in uh, 2022. Ooh, well, that'd be and good. You know, I really want to see his character expanded on. That was the thing where like his casting, I think, did more work for me than his performance actually did. Mm-hmm. I think he used just such perfect casting for that character who's like, mm-hmm. I live for peace and I don't care how many men, women and children I have to kill in order to get it. Like <laughs> oh, that, that line is so funny. It's perfect. And that square jawed, ultra masculine, like American-ness, all American-ness of him is such a perfect fit that he didn't really have to do much. And he also, God bless the costume designers, didn't have to wear very much. <laughs> <laughs> I actually do really much like the costume design work in this movie. I like the makeup work in this. I even like the visual effects work uh, done on King's, King Shark or uh, N- Nanawe, as uh, they yeah. refer to him in this. And, um, of course, the giant starfish looks fantastic as well. Uh, but I'm going to also disagree a little bit with Daniel Howitt. I liked the blown-out white cinematography of the sky mm. Because I liked how it contrasts with these costumes and made those colors stand out that much more. I just liked it to see um, like a DC movie that doesn't look like it was color graded by some sort of depressed emo kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, that, that's a, I was a little torn on it because exactly what B said. I mean, it certainly looks different and brighter then uh, especially compared to DC movies, and it just looks different from superhero movies in general. Nobody's done this sort of look before. So I, I, I give lots and lots of credit to that, just to doing something different. I just wish I, that I liked the final result a little bit more. But yeah, but I definitely think the visual effects are, are phenomenal in the movie. I, I also really like the way that James Gunn does the titles in this by incorporating the environments and some other visual effects elements to give the, like these chapter breaks. That was great. Every time. 
Especially the opening with the uh, the blood in the water. Warner Brothers Pictures presents. I, such a good yes, have, this, has been, this is I great. I may or may not have applauded when that happened in my theater. <laughs> um, can I just say that I applauded a little when I get to, uh, I when I saw Peter Capaldi um, turn up <laughs> in this movie because I wasn't expecting that, and I'm like, oh, it's Doctor Who, but he's playing <laughs> his role from. The thick of it. Yay! <laughs> I actually wish that he had more to do in this. He's probably... There are other members of the cast who are deliberately killed off early, so they aren't given much to do. But I did feel that there was material there that was provided to Peter Capaldi, but like, I just never found that character ever was able to uh, connect. And I understand that he's not meant to be like a, a good character or something like that. But that something about the writing for that character and the way that he played it, outside of his visual look of his giant brain, nothing that that character like was given added anything for me so, to, for this movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there were moments where you could sort of see that his character could have really sort of like they were trying to have him play off of the other characters yeah. with some dialogue and stuff and it just wasn't it wasn't landing i do, I do like the fact that when he sort of like casually skipped over the dead body of like his mm-hmm. team and stuff when he was you know when they were all being killed by like the sort of uh, generals who have like taken over the country and i i wanted to see a bit more of that like a bit l- like you know sort of less regard for human life and, and more about like what he was trying to do but we never really saw him on his own which was a bit of a shame like would have been better to have him more in his element doing his his lab work hello and welcome to novel conversations a podcast about the world's greatest stories i'm your host frank lavallo and for each episode of novel conversations i talk to two readers about one book And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Going back to Ratcatcher 2, though, 
uh, one of the more impressive things I find about this movie is that when her character arc gets completed in this movie, and there's a uh, nice cameo by Taika Waititi, it kind of, in that moment, not only completes her arc in this film, but also states the theme of the movie, which I really, really liked a lot mm-hmm. in terms of how these are the lowest of the low people on this planet. You know, it's like this movie does not hide the fact that these are villains. These are bad people that have done really bad things. But despite all of that, despite how flawed, how broken and how incredibly maybe even evil you are, you still have purpose in this world. Uh, And I I, I like that that I like that the movie was able to find that emotional element and really hammer it home uh, at the most important critical part of the film, which is the end. It actually just really helped for me, even with all the other stuff leading up to it, where I was like, okay, the humor is sometimes not really landing. I think the editing is a little weird at times. The storytelling feels a little disjointed in how it's hopping around so much. But by the time we got to that moment, the music is playing. uh, Daniela's performance is really, really coming through. It just like it kind of helped me to forgive the movie for a lot of other stuff, you know? Oh, I totally agree. I think that's a it's a beautiful line. A beautifully orchestrated moment, perfectly placed. Um, I I love that moment. I it it made me retroactively wish that I that that we cared about Ratcatcher to a little bit more leading up to that moment because up until that moment she was just kind of there for me. Like I don't think her character was doing or adding that much. Perfectly good, perfectly fine. Like nothing wrong with it. But it wasn't until that moment, which is almost the end of the movie that I was like, whoa, this is really You, you didn't get that from like her, her interactions with uh, King Shark or with um, uh, Dubois on the bus? Uh, I mean, not on my first viewing. Like, you know, I think I like I said, I think this is a movie that that will hold up well on rewatches. Well, you said you said the opposite. But so I don't know. I'll, I'll watch it again. But <laughs> I mean, it, it still holds up. I just noticed um, I think this time around on the second viewing, I started to notice more of the humor just not landing as well because i think what helped the first time around was that i did see it with an audience who were reacting to everything in a very giant and big way but when you see it just kind of play on its own it didn't work as well and then like i said i do think that the movie's editing can be a bit jarring sometimes in the way that it chooses to tell the story i mean there's so many moments where it's like three days earlier eight minutes earlier and it's like kind of just hopping around a lot to the point that um, I just didn't. I didn't feel like it flowed as tightly as it could oh, at times. At least it wasn't like the previous one, where it just mm-hmm. like here's another ten minute character introduction, and here's another. Yeah. Oh look, it's Batman. You know, but at least this really just focused on putting the characters into the story and letting them run around, going crazy and shooting stuff. <laughs> I also, once again, too, was trying to understand why this story about overthrowing you know this government america's involvement in all of this and like i I was trying to figure out and i don't think i'm successfully there yet still why james gunn felt that this particular backdrop was necessary for this story it it kind of almost felt like it was uh, a plot line that i would see in a early 2000s late 90s action movie well i was just gonna say it kind of reminds me of something like a team and i'm wondering Mm. whether that is a deliberate type of thing is like you know these are not the a team these are like 
the Z team, you know? <laughs> so I wondered if it was kind of like a little homage to that type of thing where it's that would that would make sense. Okay, on. I can yeah. get down with that. Well, it also, felt like a classic comic book story in a lot of ways. You mean like you mean like from like the seventies or Yeah, like older. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think setting it in, in the tropical climate also makes it feel more plausible that we wouldn't be seeing other superheroes or other supervillains and all that stuff. It just kind of makes it feel more legitimate. Yeah, they're busy. I guess. They're busy in space, you know, or like Gotham or somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's another thing I am very happy about here is that this movie is not concerned with setting up another one. Mm-hmm. Like there are no like Easter egg moments necessarily. I mean, there is a post credit sequence. I don't know if you guys saw those, yeah. but those are saved for the very end. They're not like actually part of the main narrative. Yes. Thank God. Cause yeah, you know, I agree. We've seen enough of that already, you know, from people just want a standalone mm-hmm. story that has a beginning, a middle and an end. And if you want to expand upon those characters in another movie, that's totally fine, but you don't need to devote minutes of your movie to setting up the next movie. And that, that's something that definitely annoys me. 100%. And it's one of the things that until recent years I actually liked about DC movies when compared to Marvel is that they seemed more self-contained and weren't trying to set up another multi-film franchise plot arc or having to devote time to stories that are happening in our movies that are happening within the same quote-unquote universe. Um, And then they decided to actually know they did want to do that and it their films got markedly worse after that point, which I think is interesting. But yeah, here they're just they're just focusing on this story, on this group of characters, and what is happening right here and now. And that is a that goes a long way to helping me enjoy this movie because I don't have to worry about other characters and plot lines that aren't part of this. I will say, though, um, Mm -hmm. I think that where the movie did lose me a bit was in the constant shell game of who the antagonist is. Mm, Okay. Presenting different people as you're like, well, this is the the villain, the main antagonist. And then, oh, actually, no, it's this guy. And then, nope, it's this other one, actually. And... I did get it. Like part of it was kind of fun and seeing these characters get dispatched with so easily and moving on to the next big one and having the ultimate antagonist be this kaiju who actually does get a really lovely moment when he dies. Yeah. That I really liked, especially as regards to Capaldi, because Mm -hmm. that performance is great because of his Peter Capaldi Ness. (laughs) But we don't actually learn anything about him. Like he has all this, all these wires and stuff coming out of his head and we don't even know why or see him use them at all. And that felt like, well, why are you having a character with this? If you're not going to use it, I, I totally agree, Dan. It's it, it, not having a consistent villain on the one hand was kind of funny, but it did get old and it didn't give us much to hold on to in terms of the story, which is fine because a lot of the, the yeah. movie is really focused on the humor and, and the ridiculous characters. And so all, all that worked. But it's just at the end of the day, I, I was kind of like not into the story as much because I didn't really 
it, it was totally unclear on what they were even trying to do because the villain kept changing. It, it's really tough, right? Because I said earlier, these characters are ultimately in the real world the villains. <laughs> so you need a, a greater villain than them. Uh, ultimately, and you know what this movie settles on after kind of flip flopping over and over again between all these different characters is that the ultimate villain is actually the American government. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I was just about to say that, like, you know, it. That's when in a film is like this. This happens. These are, you know, this is kind. Of, that's where the film seemed real to me, you know, because. It isn't about giant starfish. It isn't about, uh, uh, you know, this person being a thinker with, you know, amazing brain capacity or whatever. It's it's real because, you know, there are governments who do shady shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what I thought was actually quite good to see and refreshing in a way was to that actually have that in in a movie. I know it's, pro it, you know, it's kind of been done before in in you know marvel films and all that sort of stuff but it, it did seem a very bold move to make so it was you know that felt for me that felt like yeah the payoff was good with all the sort of like oh this is a bad guy that's a bad guy and actually no it's it's the government they're the bad people <laughs> and you know what it also does too um i gotta give the movie a little bit of credit for this because i agree with you guys that having a strong central antagonist is super important and something that I feel can make your movie that much better. But what this movie was able to successfully do in that regard was it was very successfully able to blindside us with a villain reveal and one that also has very clear motivations for why they are doing what they are doing and made perfect sense. And I understand, too, that that reveal uh, wasn't necessarily the big bad, as uh, we referred to necessarily earlier, but more of a pawn in that is being used by the big the big bad. And I like that it ties back into the whole premise of what the Suicide Squad actually is. They are ultimately on suicide missions because the American government has deemed that they are completely expendable because they are the lowest of the lows pieces of shit. And who cares if they die on this mission or not? Yeah. And I, I just really liked how all of that kind of fed into the reveals, the, the antagonist, and so on and so forth. Yeah, the heel turn is executed perfectly. I thought that was really, really well done. And I do, there is something about the, you know, the quote unquote ultimate antagonist being the US government that, like, it makes sense, but it also kind of feels like so been there, done that. <laughs> like, of course. But doesn't that feed into also what I was saying earlier about this feeling more like a throwback story at times? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It does. And I love that whole feel to it. I also love the parallels that that allows to draw between some of the characters who you wouldn't think would have parallels between them at all. Um, specifically with Amanda Waller. Mm -hmm. It makes her a more interesting character, I think. The particularly one, her biggest, shoutiest moment near the end of the movie was actually really interesting because she has so many competing motivations in that moment mm -hmm. that I really bought it. And I don't know that anyone other than Viola Davis could have brought all that out of this character. <laughs> But it's the fact that they're 
is that kind of ambiguity and well, why is she really doing this is, was really interesting and sort of an example of the movie doing way more than it actually had to. Yeah. For every element of the movie, I think the steps, I think it actually takes like one and a half steps more in the right direction in the areas that matter. And that's character. Yes. Uh, Final thoughts on Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad, excuse me. Got to make sure I get that distinction down properly. They definitely intend for you to emphasize the the with this movie. Like, this is the one, y'all. Daniel Howitt, we'll start with you. We've touched on it a a few times throughout the episode, but I I really, I love a lot of the imagery that he creates um, that really does feel like it's out of a comic book. I think one of the more iconic images from the movie is King Shark ripping that dude in half. And yeah. Oh, it's just I a beautiful it so much. Yeah, it's like gorgeous. <laughs> and it's such it's a lightning and the blood. And yeah, it's, it's so amazing. Good. And so I think he does that a few times throughout. I think that the title card shot um, of the of the team is, is phenomenal. So I, I think there's a lot of gorgeous imagery here, despite me not loving the, the palette. But um, I also just love the character work. Um, I think the casting is really solid. I think it takes these characters that we don't that that probably very few people in the universe care about and and make them lovable and interesting, at least. So, uh, yeah, I think I think this is a really, really good movie. I'm excited to rewatch it again. Um, I'm not sure that it I I do feel like there's an element of overpraising to this film um, on, you know, Twitter and other places. um, But that doesn't remotely mean that this is a a bad movie by any means. I think it's a phenomenal movie. Really, really great. Um, And and yeah, I'm excited for more people to, to keep checking it out. All right. Bianca Gardner. Yeah, I really want to watch this movie again. I've been thinking about it a lot. I just found it really, I left the cinema on a high despite somebody sitting in my seat originally. And then I had to try and find another seat to sit in. You know, I don't miss that. That's a, that's a really a thing I've realized in COVID. Don't miss that part of going to the cinema. But I just found it so fun. And just like, I love the music choices. I, I love the sort of energy of the film and it really did seem like everybody was having fun. I love what they did with the characters. And yeah, the story isn't like necessarily strong, but I, I think it's it's simple enough for it to work and we don't need overcomplicated superhero um, stories where it's going to and from in time and alternate universes and so on. So I, I definitely think it's going to be a film that is worth watching again and again, but, you know, maybe not necessarily on your own, maybe just with a group of people every so often, uh, especially a film that you probably enjoy a lot more if you've had a couple of drinks or so. So, yeah, I, I definitely worth recommend, you know, people going to, to seek it out. And Dan Bear. Uh, so was I the only one who, when we saw Starro the Conqueror in his fullest kaiju form stomping through this town, was I the only one who thought of the original Ghostbusters? Oh, no, no, no. I think that's deliberate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it, I, that was the first thing that came to my mind was like, oh, it's the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. <laughs> I just, which made me love it even more. Which is weird, but whatever, since they were so shamelessly ripping that off, but I didn't care. I love so many of the minor characters in this. 
<laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and say uh, Jay Courtney's Captain Boomerang deserved better. Eh. Um, I really dug the kind of gonzo energy he brought to the first movie, and I was looking forward to getting to see him do more here and womp womp. I feel like um, you may be alone in that hill, uh, Tan. <laughs> I was going to say... Happy to die on. <laughs> I'm 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 happy that instead of taking the same characters from the first one, I mean, really, it's just Rick Flag, yeah, Harley Quinn, and Amanda Waller. Uh, this time around, everyone else, it's like, you know, this was an opportunity for James Gunn to put his own definitive stamp on this, <laughs> and I think he took the characters that were more essential than. Captain Boomerang, who, once again, Jai Courtney, I just, I I don't get it. I'm waiting for the day when I understand <laughs> what the appeal is, but, you know, we'll say. <laughs> Watch the Spartacus series. I have. <laughs> it's the only thing that I've ever seen him be great in. I mean, even in something like Buffaloed, which I really, really loved, I, oh, I yeah. just, like, I'm still, like, not blown away by him. But I think that that, you know, I think he does play, like, douchey roles well because I do kind of yeah. see him as a bit of a douche. <laughs> yeah, it works. Weasel. <gasps> I wanted more weasel. I wanted more weasel. So weasel. He's so, I, he's so wonderful. Sean Gunn. Seriously, you did that. <laughs> the end made me so happy. I, I, I just like, I was like, yes. I love weasel. I think he's hilarious. Who I want to meet the person who had the demented idea to cast Sylvester Stallone as the voice of King Shark and shake their hand. Well, I mean, think about it from this perspective, right? James Gunn already did this with Vin Diesel as Groot. True. Yeah. And Sylvester Stallone was in Guardians 2 as well. He was, yeah. I I just think that was such a brilliant piece of voice casting and everything i'm obsessed with everything that king shark does in this movie and the crazy thing is like i never for once like questioned that that character was fully real Mm -hmm. and there are some other movies that i've seen recently that have fully cgi characters that do not manage to look real and part of the world of the movie so you know kudos to the vfx team i think that's i think that's the key there dan is that it doesn't need to be photorealistic it just needs to fit in with the rest of the world that the filmmaker is creating and i do think that king shark mostly because of the color palette of this movie honestly i i I do think he's aided uh in his visual effects work because of that absolutely and he's just fun and his little i loved his little nasty fish friends that he makes oh they're adorable (laughs) adorable and of course they end up to have be like you know supercharged piranhas or whatever (laughs) i i actually really really liked his relationship with daniela uh meliquire as a rat catcher too i i i loved all of that it was so sweet Mm -hmm. in the end this is just like i appreciated all the cleverness and creativity of the kills in the fight scenes the fight scenes themselves weren't all as clever as as the violence and gore work but i appreciate any movie that commits to that when they should commit to it and they definitely committed to it and it's so much fun and i think getting comic violence right is very difficult 
but James Gunn is one of the very few people who knows how to do it exactly right. Because every time the emphasis is on, look at this, isn't this ridiculous? And that is how you need to do it so that it's fun and not gross. <laughs> I really like this movie, despite its flaws uh, that we've talked about here. And I know that um, depending on who you ask, there will be different flaws that we disagree on and so on and so forth. Uh, it's a very giant movie in that regard with a lot of singular elements to touch upon. One of the elements, though, in this movie that I did find that James Gunn maybe went a little too overboard with, and you guys can feel free to disagree with me on this, I do think that there is an, an emotional manipulation of animals and the way that they're utilized in this movie to get the audience on the side of the characters in this movie because we all love animals, right? You have a talking shark. You've got animated CGI rats that are like waving and giving peace offerings. You've got uh, the bird in the very, very opening of the movie. You have 2D animated birds and, you know, squirrels and chipmunks or whatever the hell it is that's running around Harley Quinn's uh, scene. I just feel that the utilization of animals in this movie went a little overboard in trying to get the audience to go, aww, and really, uh, you know, I, I just found it to be emotionally manipulative at, at a certain point. Uh, fair enough. I mean, yeah, I think that sometimes um, the rat was a bit like it was something going to turn into a Disney movie, you know, like Dumbo or something. <laughs> uh, and, and then, yeah, I, I do feel like Birds. I mean, the, I did like the flowers and stuff in the in the Harley Quinn bit, but yeah, when you when there were all this emphasis on birds, I was just like, this is a little bit too much. And yeah, and then it's like, oh, let's emphasize that these villains are you know heartless bastards, and let's have them burn the birds alive. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. like I said, I just feel like this movie leaned really heavily, even the weasel character, which everybody we all just admitted we all love. Why? Because it's a freaking animal. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I, 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 I just felt like this movie leaned a little too heavily into that to the point that I almost found it to be unfair because it is a trick that does work on people. You know, if you if you have animals in your movie and you give them human qualities or you get us to just simply care about them, like, of course, we're going to like your movie. <laughs> and that's really it. I mean, everything else I've touched upon here uh, in my final thoughts. Uh, so I'm going to give this movie um, I was originally going to give it a seven out of ten, but I found I found that the character work went above and beyond what I expect from this genre and even what I expected from this movie, to be honest with you, like I said before, it feels like there's a lot of care and attention being given to each of these characters, not just the main characters, but even the smallest characters to the point that I am feeling very generous here. And I want to give uh, James Gunn a lot of credit for getting me as emotionally invested in these characters and then this story especially after what uh preceded this uh, what came before this so i'm giving the suicide squad an eight out of ten bianca yeah i think i'm i'm going to settle with an eight out of ten too um but i'm keen to see like you say what it'd be like to rewatch it again and see if my score changes daniel howitt yeah, I am also an 8 out of 10, maybe a little bit of a soft 8, probably probably similar to you, Matt. 
Um, but it's it really is highly enjoyable, a great viewing experience. Um, and like I said in my opening uh, remarks, there, I, I think it is. I don't I don't think it's quite as good as either of the Guardians films, um, but it's still a phenomenal movie. Dan Bear. Uh, yeah, I'm in the exact same spot. It is a week eight for me, and I toyed with going for a strong seven instead, but nah, I had way too much fun watching it to give it anything yeah. less than an eight. All right, and then as far as the film's Oscar potential goes, gotta talk about it because in 2016, Suicide Squad won the Oscar for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, so there is a question that I'm wondering here in terms of visual effects work, makeup and hairstyling work, are we looking at anything for the Suicide Squad here? If, oh, I think we, I think so. It's definitely a vast improvement on the previous one. Uh, if I can be honest and say something a little risky here, I think there is one element that the first movie does better than this film, and that is makeup and hairstyling. I actually think it was a, a lot stronger in the 2016 oh, Suicide Squad. And I oh. just don't... I just don't see the work here. I, I think it'll be in contention. I think it could get nominated. I don't. I don't think. I. I, I would say I lean towards. I don't think it will. But I think the first film did did more interesting things. I mean, what? I, I other than like Thinker's Head and some of the stuff on Polka Dot Man. I mean, I'm trying to think what was really interesting from a makeup and hairstyling perspective. I mean, there's always Harley Quinn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think the makeup and hairstyling on her was more impressive in the first film and in Birds of Prey. Like, I I would agree on that. I would agree on that. I think that the makeup work in this is still overall very good and very character based, not as impressive as the first movie. But there's no reason why I wouldn't consider it for a contender for that for this. And I know that it has no shot at an Oscar nomination, but I would not be surprised to see this show up at uh, the Costume Designer Guild in its respective category because these costumes, I think, really do pop and come alive in this. And that's where it is better, definitely, than than the first film. The costumes are much more interesting. Uh, But I I think the real real spot that it has a shot at a nomination is visual effects. I, I wouldn't call it a shoe in for a nomination. Um, I think it's, uh, but, but I think it'll definitely be on the lists. It'll be on the long list and, um, could, could get nominated. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that King shark and of course the, uh, Kaiju starfish are very, very memorable. And that is something that could stand out for people when we get to that point as well. And polka dot man too, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, call. Definitely. All right. Well, that'll do it here for our conversation on the Suicide Squad here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Bianca Gardner, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet. Yeah, if you want to head on over to Twitter, you can find me at the Film B. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And Daniel Howitt. You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
had to be like a super villain, what would your name be and what would your power be? Name oh, powered. Wow. Because hmm. I've been I've been given this a, a lot of thought. Okay, and I would be the pun maker, <laughs> and like all my deaths would resu- be like a way for me to make a pun. I, I would love just, that. Be that, that's why I would be doing. I was like, yeah. Yeah. I am a te- I, I am a telekinesis person because I think I've just always enjoyed that whenever a telekinesis uh, superpowered individual has to move something really big, they're always like <laughs> putting on the most strenuous like face in the world, like though as if it's like weightlifting and it's like so incredibly <laughs> heavy and hard for them to move these larger objects. What would your name be? You have to have a name. I t- come back. Come back to me. Okay. I feel like I'd be the supervillain equivalent of like Debbie Downer somehow. I just like <laughs> would just bum people out. I would definitely go for um, invisibility. Mm. Ooh. My name would be the fly on the wall. Oh, I like it. I really want to become the pun maker now. Well, you should watch Jungle Cruise and let me know how you feel after that. <laughs> This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.